We are back. We promise you that after we get a chance to take in the Da Vinci Code, we will talk about it with our media correspondent, uh, hopefully, Mr. Gary Chu. We hope Gary will also speak with us about the movie Thank You for Smoking, which I had a chance to see last week. Um, he got three stars by a lot of people's reckoning. Uh, I have some reservations about it. The original uh, Christopher Buckley book was apparently quite scathing in uh, when its analysis of the art of spin, when the movie's a bit kinder, a bit kinder than it ought to be uh, when it comes to addressing how, um, particularly the tobacco lobby, for years spun uh, the news about smoking, which was generally bad news, into something that was, well, har hard to say. We also look forward to asking Gary about the Poseidon Adventure, particularly why anyone in God's name would do a remake of the Poseidon Adventure. Sometime in the 1970s, the, the Harvard Lampoon people <laughs> voted the Poseidon Adventure the worst movie of all time. And if any of you are afraid of being struck by a tidal wave while out on the high seas, <laughs> keep in mind that Waves don't break in the middle of the ocean. Not that any of you were necessarily worried about being trapped in an upside-down ocean liner in which the lights were still working because somehow the generators were still going in spite of the fact the ship was, you know, topsy-turvy. Uh, we do want to note that the casting was inspired. They managed to find an heir to America's worst acting <laughs> mantle, Ernest Borgnine, in the prison of Kurt Russell. You know, I, I do I do want to say that Ernest Borgnine deserved his Oscar from the 1955 classic Marty. It's a wonderful film. If you've never seen it, you, you, you should check it out. It's a delightful motion picture. Borgnine was great in it. But after that, uh, he kind of appeared to have proved he was a one-hit wonder. Within a decade of that magical film Marty, which I believe won Best Picture in 1955, in addition to Bur Borgnine winning the Oscar for the title role, he was doing McHale's Navy on television. So we'll have to ask Gary why they did the remake. Not that he's going to have an answer, but we're going to ask him. Now from the jackass file, we have the following item. We should preface this by noting that uh, given the shrinking polar ice cap, it's felt by many that polar bears may have about 25 years left before they become extinct. Scientists in Canada have noted that the Arctic ice cap is shrinking by 8 percent per year, which is causing serious stress on bears, which, of course, have to go out on the ice flows to hunt. There may not be any ice flows by the year 2050, when it's estimated the entire Arctic Ocean may become a blue sea without an ice cap. This could have catastrophic worldwide climate implications. So in the midst of all that, the polar bear loss doesn't seem like that much, but it, it would be a shame if this magnificent animal were to disappear. And um, the jackass aspect comes in from the fact that up in northern Canada, an American hunter who paid $45,000 for the privilege of hunting polar bears bagged a bear that some people suspected might be a wild grizzly slash polar bear hybrid. Roger Kuptana, an Inuit tracker from the Northwest Territory, suspected that uh, the American Martel had, uh, had bagged himself a hybrid bear, noting that the animal's white fur was spotted brown and it had long claws and a slightly humped back characteristic of the grizzly. Well, DNA tests confirm the animal was indeed a hybrid. 
According to the article, the DNA results were good news for Martel, age 65, who pa- faced a possible $909 fine and up to a year in jail for shooting a grizzly. I just love the upbeat tone of this article. The, the biologist in Canada was saying, well, his colleagues have come up with a few new names for the hybrid, a pizzly, a growler bear. One colleague suggested calling it a nanoloc, combining the Inuit names for polar bear, nanook, and a grizzly bear, which is Akloc. This seems like an awful lot of chipper chatter to me for, you know, accompanying a photograph of, of, of a bear sprawled out on an ice floe with a bullet in his side and some grinning knucklehead standing over it. I mean, how much skill does it take to point a high-powered rifle, put your crosshairs on an animal, and pull the trigger? Now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not against hunting. If you go out and you hunt animals, you eat the animals. I think that's part of the natural cycle. I mean, I can understand that. But nobody eats polar bear. This guy, Jim Martell, pays $45,000. He hires an Inuit guide to track the bear down for him. And when he's brought into proximity, he brings the rifle down and kabang, he's got himself a big trophy. I mean... How small does your penis have to be that you have to go bag a polar bear at the cost of $45,000 to prove your manhood? And Mr. McMillan, we've done the disclaimer, right? Yes, we have. (laughs) Good, good. So I won't say it again, but of course, you know, these are are my opinions, not, not that of anybody else's. All right, from the Jackass File Part 2, we have the following. According to Abigail Goldman writing for the Los Angeles Times... Walmart Stores, Inc. uses a yellow happy face to try to put its shoppers in a carefree mood. Now, of course, the happy face icon dates back to the 1970s. But Walmart is saying, with a straight face apparently, that it has exclusive rights to the familiar image, at least among all retail department stores. The world's largest retailer is fighting a French native who has earned millions in licensing fees on smiley faces since the early 1970s when he began securing trademarks for the happy face around the world. Of course, as I understand it, and as the article points out, the man widely credited with creating Mr. Smiley was the late Harvey Ball, a Massachusetts graphic artist who was commissioned by an insurer in 1963 to reduce bad blood among employees after the company merged with a rival. For his efforts, Ball earned $45. By the time he thought to copyright the design in the 1970s, his happy face had already been reproduced at least 50 million times, making it part of the public domain. But that was just in the U.S., and I guess that's where this Frenchman got involved, patenting or copywriting it elsewhere. Doesn't seem that anybody's wearing a white hat in this piece, but I'd like to hear what Andrew Young has to say about the benefits of Walmart and why they think they've got the right to the happy face icon for all retailers in the known universe. And speaking of weaselly behavior by those with lots and lots of money, on a more local level, we need to return to the issue of Arco Arena, the Maloof brothers, and political shenanigans. I love the article in the Sunday Bee in the sports section about Gavin and Joe, the billionaire boys who like to own, who have built casinos down in Vegas but want public financing for their arena in Sacramento. 
The article was titled, Taking Control of Their Team, subtitled, Some Question Owner's Integrity After Latest Move. Apparently what's got people questioning the integrity of the Maloof brothers is that, um, well, that they just make decisions and let others do the dirty work for them, and they're just, they're just, they're just not being nice to the team. Well, yes, yes, maybe some would question their integrity in, in regards to how they're managing the team. But how about how they're managing local politicians? April 22nd article in the B by Mary Lynn Vienga noted that, uh, that Sacramento City Councilman Ray Trethaway uh, said that polls show voters are not backing an arena tax. According to Ray Trethaway, I've seen polls in the past, and they were devastating. People saying they wouldn't vote for this if it were the last thing on earth. And now we're talking about having an assessment for flood protection? Yeah, how these big plans for uh, financing a new arena, uh, you know, uh, appear to be shrouded in secrecy. A one-quarter cent sales tax increase is being considered. Let me quote from the article. As the Kings head into the NBA playoffs, Sacramento City and county leaders are huddling over plans to fund construction of a new arena, perhaps with a hike in local sales taxes. Those involved remain closed-lipped about the latest discussions, fearing premature publicity will cause nascent plans for a new arena to wither like so many others have in the past few years. Quote, Every time this thing has gotten out prematurely, it's blowing up prematurely. I'm not interested in participating in that, said Sacramento Mayor Heather Fargo. So yes, apparently revealing to the public what the politicians are up to uh, in collusion with the team owners is, is blowing up on people, and we just can't have that. The article quotes Matt Mahood, president of the Sacramento Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce, said he's been regularly briefed on the arena talks, and they remain very much in flux. Quote, the city and county have been communicating about multiple strategies, he said. I think the most important thing to remember here is the lessons we've learned. When these strategies are released too soon, they fail. So it's not that they're a crappy idea that nobody likes. It's that we let the, we let the cat out of the bag a little too soon. Yeah, if we, if we let the data out too soon, people can counteract what we're up to. Of course, in the midst of all this, who's involved? Developer Angelo K. Sakopoulos. He tried two approaches in the past regarding the arena. In 2004, he uh, proposed accelerating approvals for construction in the unincorporated county's portions of Natomas. In return, landowners would have been designated landowners would have designated 20% of the proceeds from the sale of their land to fund construction of an arena. That didn't work out. Sakopoulos then floated a similar plan involving land he owned near the Sacramento-El Dorado County line. Now, that didn't do too well either. But common to all these are that once uh, Angelo K. Sakopoulos gets involved, then, urban, or then, then rural land gets rezoned for development. Keep in mind that all this development going out in Natomas, the area which will be under 22 feet of water if the levees fail, uh, well, there's been no halt in development because the city fathers and mothers feel that, uh, well, that, that just could cause urban blight. But into this mix comes Daryl Steinberg, a Democrat who served in the state assembly from 1998 to 2004 when he was forced out by term limits. He's currently running for the state senate seat being vacated by Deborah Ortiz in Sacramento. Apparently, Joe and Gavin have hired former state assemblyman Steinberg to help negotiate an arena financing deal with the city and county of Sacramento. 
Steinberg has noted that technically uh, the Kings have hired the law firm for which he's employed. We will continue to follow this story with you. All right, let's go out with some good news if we can <laughs> we can find some here. There is a fairly good possibility that the Republican majority in the Senate may do something right before the Memorial Day weekend and vote to make the death tax elimination a permanent feature in the United States. The way it stands currently in 2011, January 1, uh, the inheritance tax, the death tax, which you will be assessed on the estate of your relatives who may wish to pass something along to you, will go from being unlimited for that last year back to the 2001 level of $650,000. In the superheated California real estate market, I think most of you realize that property in the Bay Area, say, or Southern California, uh, can be worth a good deal more than $650,000. And if your grandparents, parents, uncles, aunts, etc., wish you to be the beneficiary, well then, dear listener, if they don't repeal this tax, starting in 2001, you would be expected to pay 55% on every dime over $650,000. An awful lot of you listeners may stand to inherit something like $1.5 million a decade from now, and if this tax isn't repealed, you're going to give the U.S. federal government a cool $600,000. This issue appears to get no traction here on KDVS because most of you think that you could never possibly inherit that much money. But dear listeners, a lot of you will. We're going to return to this in future installments of this show. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. We want to thank Professor Bart Ehrman for his most interesting discussion with us in segment two. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax, and we'll see you next Thursday at 5 o'clock. Now, stay tuned for, well, I'm not sure whether Todd's going to go or whether we're going to have Miss Marnie Hot Pants or what's going on, but quality musical programming will follow shortly. Stay tuned. <laughs>